Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman and Associates. Now, here's Connie. Hi, I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. Thank you so much again for joining me this week. So my motivational quote today is by Emily Hollenberg, and it says, Cancer is a journey, but you walk the road alone. There are many places to stop along the way and get nourishment. You just have to be willing to take it. Cancer is such an ugly word. Just the idea of it can be paralyzing. We all know people who have had it, were just diagnosed with it, or have had to deal with the reality of the word ourselves. No matter who it is or what type of cancer people are diagnosed with, often the only thing we can do is pray. How does the person who is dealing with this life-changing event cope? We can try to empathize, but we can't fully understand what the real needs are from friends and family. Today, my guest, Dara Zuckerberg, will share tips on how to keep moving forward even when everything in your vision is bleak. So please help me welcome this courageous and powerful woman, Dara. So, Dara, thank you so much for being on. Uh, Connie, it's my, my pleasure. I'm really excited about it this afternoon. Yeah, and, and I guess we should start with, you know, your, your story um, and turning 40 and the life-changing events that happened. It was, it was truly like um, a whirlwind. So share with everybody what happened at 40. Sure. Well, um, you know, like a lot of uh, people who turn 40, um, you know, that's sort of a big event in and of itself. And uh, that year I had uh, given myself a goal to sort of decide how physically fit I could become. I had never been really athletic as a child. Um, Was always, to be honest, kind of the fat kid in class. And I thought, uh, well, you know, uh, maybe I can do this. And so uh, without belaboring uh, the physical activity, I I worked out with a trainer who, you know, had me on um, some workouts and a particular uh, nutritional plan. And really over the course of most of the year, uh, I got into the best physical condition of my life. Um, You know, lifting several hundreds of pounds, so, you know, doing things like deadlifting 200 pounds and squatting 170 pounds and um, running a sub-nine-minute mile, like things I would have never thought I could do. And Did then, you get a T-shirt? Wait, I have to ask. Did you get a T-shirt that said Wonder Woman on it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's funny you say that. Uh, Wonder Woman is my screensaver on a lot of, oh, like, I my electronic it. devices. And yeah. you earned it. You earned it. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I just so, that was the you know, really, Yeah, really just flying high, you know, feeling really positive about myself. And uh, one day I'm in the car and on a long car drive, and um, I feel something in my breast. My arm sort of brushes against the side of my breast, and I feel something hard. And so, you know, I start to sort of investigate, and it's a lump. And it's Mm. that moment that, you know, even now I'm kind of getting choked up thinking about it. You know, it's the moment that everyone dreads because I'm feeling it, and it's huge. Um, It ended up being 5.6 centimeters. So, uh, you know, about the size of a golf ball. Now, I have to ask you, did you go for your mammograms every year and all of your, your, your gynecological appointments and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, you know, I was really good. I um, had a baseline mammogram when I turned 35. I had a mammogram when I turned 40. 
Um, and even after my diagnosis, if they had gone back and looked at the mammogram, the mammogram showed absolutely nothing. And the day I found the lump was the day before my annual mammogram. So within one year, I had gone from absolutely nothing detectable on a mammogram to, you know, a very hard lump in my breast the size of a golf ball. Holy smokes. Talk about, okay, life-changing? Yeah, I think so. So, okay, so go ahead. So you were driving, you feel it, you think, uh uh-oh. Yeah, and so, you know, you you start the usual um, sort of round of tests. And, and, you know, um, as we talk about this cancer, I probably should just point out that this is my experience. Everyone has a different experience with cancer. Um, And so when I describe what I went through, it could be very different than what other people went through um, Mm -hmm. or feel. because it is a very unique individual disease, and that's something I struggled with a lot as I went through my process, is I kept just wanting answers. Just tell me what it's going to be. And the answer is it's different for everyone, and I hated that answer. But it really is true. So, yeah, because it's, it's – but, Sarah, but it's a vague answer. You know, everybody's yeah. different, and you're thinking, well, no, I, somebody has to have the same thing that I'm having. How can you tell me that everybody's different? I want answers. What's the survival rate? What's the protocol? What You know, you, I want answers now. And, and here's the thing. It, was it a control thing for you? Um, yeah, it very much was a control thing for me. Um, you know, one thing through my entire diagnosis and treatment, I, I really struggled to, and I'll put this in quotes, be normal. I wanted my life to be normal. Mm. So, for mm-hmm. example, I, I had 18 weeks of chemo, um, so six rounds, three weeks apart. I worked out every day. You did. Now, when I use the term worked out, I'm not, you know, running a marathon every day, but I went to the gym every day because it was, that was my routine. And it was important to me to have my routine every day. And control, I totally get that. But also, did it help as a stress reliever for you? Uh, it, it it did. And it helped me sort of cope with what can be really overwhelming emotional mm. and physical sensations. I can so, imagine. Yeah, that focus on just what is my normal day really helped me sort of cope with for me, what what I was going through mentally and emotionally. Did you continue to work out with the with the trainer, was or he or she? I'm, I'm not sure what it was, but did you? Continue? Yeah, did it, it was a, a guy, and I did continue to work out with him. And um, so he got a crash course in breast cancer, chemotherapy, radiation, breast reconstruction. Uh, you know, you wow. name it. Um, and and he was a real godsend for me. Wow, see that? You never know who comes in your past. Um, and at the time, you maybe don't realize what the value. And it would be funny if we had him on, which we don't, but if we did, I wonder if he would feel you were a godsend, Isn't, yeah. you know, right? Because you're, you're so inspiring in, in everything that you've gone through. So once the diagnosis was, it is, okay, and it's, it's big, what, wh- how did they approach you that you kept saying, but how's this going to work, and what's going to happen next, and ha- so what were your choices? Um, well, so once we figured out that it was malignant and, and cancer, um, the original sort of game plan was I was going to go through, because it was so large, 
um, and I was still relatively young, the game plan was I would go through um, uh, chemotherapy, and that would hopefully reduce the tumor enough that I could just have a lumpectomy, right? Because the thing that I think goes through a lot, not that a lumpectomy is easy, but, oh, my God, what happens is if I lose my breast, right? That redefines a lot of women in terms of their sexuality and their femininity Mm -hmm. and relationships with partners and, you know, thoughts about looks. Um, All sorts of issues come up. So that was the game plan. So I go through the chemo, and it works like a charm. And I think that's it. I'm I'm in the free and clear. Uh, it shrinks to less than like five millimeters. So it goes from like five centimeters down to nothing. We can Crazy. do a lumpectomy. This is easy. Crazy. They say, well, you know, because you're young and because it was such an aggressive cancer, um, we think that you maybe you should have genetic testing done. Hmm. So I go and I get the genetic testing done and Did you know anything about did you know anything about the genetic testing data before they recommended it? Yeah, so my background is in um the life sciences, so I have a, a degree in cell biology, so I was pretty oh. familiar uh with the the sorts of genetic markers for breast cancer and the sorts of testing. Did you um, have any did you have any inclination before the testing that one way or the other how the how the results would fall um i think the only inkling was i i know that i have um a jewish lineage and uh. the genes the breast cancer genes do uh, tend to have uh be prevalent in a lot of jewish populations so i did had your thought family, in my it- head that yeah. it could be. But now, did your yeah. family have specifically? Uh, that gets even more interesting. I'm adopted. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to let you talk. I'm going to be quiet now. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so the test comes back positive. I have the, the it's called the BRCA1 gene. Uh, what that amounts to is, um, you know, your chance of reoccurrence of breast cancer is quite high. But more importantly, your your chance of occurrence of ovarian cancer goes uh, from a very small percentage to something like an 80% chance of having ovarian wow. cancer. Ovarian cancer is very deadly. Typically, by the time they detect it, it's too late. Oh, uh, so that's the real health risk. So I went from thinking I could have a lumpectomy to essentially deciding I had a a dual mastectomy, so both my breasts removed. I had ended up having both my ovaries removed, and then uh, the cancer had spread into my lymph nodes, which is somewhat common with a lot of uh, breast cancer patients. So I had uh, a number of lymph nodes removed. So what that meant in the end is um, it was stage three. I had a 36% chance of being alive for another five years. Um, oh, my gosh. And went through... Uh, breast breast reconstruction, radiation, um, nipple reconstruction, um, you know, basically the full Monty, as they'll call it. (laughs) Yeah, you had the full Monty, hmm. Yeah. Now, when they, when the the report came back that you were, in fact, genetically predisposed, did the doctors aggressively say 
you you should have the double mastectomy and the the ovaries taken out, or was it still a very laborious decision making process for you to decide all nothing piece? You know, or, or was the guidance there to say really, really, you need to do that? Um, you know, they they let you make your own decision, but they will say from a medical standpoint. I mean, they will share the statistics with you, yeah. um, and. Uh, I think they try to lean you in the direction of, of having it done. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I've had people come to me afterwards who said, well, you know, I've tested for the BRCA gene, and so I then proactively want to have a mastectomy and my ovaries were removed, you know, more like, um, Preventive. you know, a, a, as a prophylactic kind of a measurement. Right. And, Boy, I don't know if, had I known that, I don't know if I could have made that decision. It's a really big thing to have a mastectomy and your ovaries removed because, yeah, the, the what, at least for me, what it does for body image and your mm. thoughts about being a woman. Plus, you know, at 40, you have your ovaries removed. You're thrown into automatic menopause. And you're so, only 40. You're young. That's young. Yeah. Yeah, so you get everything that comes with menopause. Um, all at once. All <laughs> overnight. Right <in> <laughs> yeah, all yeah, overnight. Yeah. Plus you're dealing with the, the – so there's the emotional, just because I know I've, I'm kind of in the throes. So, yes, mm-hmm. you have the emotional – you know, menopause, is, is it is what it is. We have to go through it, blah, blah, blah. But thrown into that, you're mentally not as calm – uh, you know, you get more depressed. Your your your, your hormonal fluctuation is is varied. Plus, mm-hmm. dealing with the mastectomy now, your whole body image and the emotional the I can't even. I have to be honest. I can't even contemplate that. The, first of all, getting the information, my heart is broken for you mm-hmm. at that the moment. How how beyond like talking about. Can we turn the clock back, right? To to yeah. so I could be what I was yesterday. But then to have to make all of these tremendously life-changing decisions. And and before we take a break, I'm curious. How long have you been cancer-free? So uh, that was October of 2010 that I found the lump. And I had my uh, mastectomy in April of 2011. So I just celebrated four years. Nice, very nice. Yeah. That's awesome, and and another fifty to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope. Good, right, good, good blessings to you. And then um, my other question was: Did you find that once you were thrown into the menopausal craziness, that the the body image and all that went along with the mastectomy was it? Do you think even more daunting, or you don't even know how to answer that because it was what it was for you? Just curious. What you, you know, I, I think it. Um, I think it was daunting. I mean, uh, I, I'll be frank about uh, some sexuality issues. So um, here you are, especially for me. You know, I already struggled with some body issues because I had always been a fat kid. Had just mm. gotten into great physical shape, so was feeling really great about my body. Mm. I now have breasts that have five-inch scars on them that have very little, like, tactile sensation to them. Mm. And now I'm in menopause, which makes you less um, 
sexually interested a lot of times has vaginal dryness. You know, sure. sex is now um, much more difficult in a lot of yeah. ways than it was when I was in my 20s and 30s. And yeah. yet I'm still a vibrant, sexually active woman. So, yeah. you know, how do you cope with that and, and you know, work with your partner through those issues? And that can be, uh, you know, a whole host of other um, concerns that you really have to deal with in addition to, oh, my God, I could die. <laughs> yeah, right? Like what an underlying current there. Yeah. And, you you know, everybody's listening saying, yeah, but you still have life going on. You still have work. You still have all the physical stuff, the mental stuff going on now because of the hormonal, nut, you know, craziness that happens in menopause. You know, talk about the full Monty. Oh, my goodness gracious, you poor, poor thing. So that's just crazy. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm I'm curious to see, before you said you wanted everything to be, and I'm going to do quotes, air quotes here, normal, and I want you to explain what you meant by that and how you got back to normalcy, I guess. So let's take a break, and then we'll talk about quote-unquote normal, okay? Okay. It's a shame when you're feeling stuck in your business and you feel like you have nowhere to turn. It's a shame when you slog through long days in your business and you don't get any return. It's a shame when you feel like you can't see the forest for the trees and your business brings you to your knees. Einstein said repeating the same actions over and over won't produce different results. So stop feeling ashamed. Your business and you deserve better. Change that shame into righteous fame. Connie Whitman can tame that shame. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates will help you to discover your new path and nothing will ever be the same. Connie's tried and true one-on-one coaching sessions will tame that shame so you and your business will not continue in vain. Call Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates today at 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Call Connie. Turn that shame into your game. We are back with Dara Zuckernick. And you know I'm going to say it wrong at some part, Dara. And I'm going to call you Dara Z. <laughs> um, and we're talking we're talking about breast cancer, specifically uh, Dara's situation. And in the first segment, she spoke about um, you wanted everything to be normal. So what what did that mean for you? And how did that go? <laughs> normal. Yeah. Well, um, what I'm going to say, being you know four years out from this now, is I'm not really sure I know what normal is, and normal is different for everyone. So, um, but when you were in, or when I was in the thick of the cancer diagnosis, it just meant, you know, getting through each day, um, doing the things that had value for me. Um, mm-hmm. And if that meant, uh, for example, I said I worked out every day, it was important to me to continue to work out every day in some capacity. So just the ability to wake up every day and be able to go and work out and um, see the people who were supporting me in that community, that made a big difference for me to be able to keep up that sort of routine. Um, and, and, And every day, I was able to wake up and say, okay, today I feel a little bit better. I feel a little bit worse. Um, I look a little bit better. I, you know, um, 
And, and so that's sort of what keeps you going through what can become a very long process. I can only imagine. So really that routine, ironically, number one, I think routine is always good. Um, you wake up and it's something to look forward to because it was a positive routine. The, the working out had a positive effect on you mentally, self-image-wise, plus strength-wise. I, I, I would imagine that you felt strong even though the chemo probably kicked your ass, I would think. You still, the the, the working out, you know, gave you that strength back. And then again, being next to these very, let's face it, the, in the gym, being with a trainer, they're wired to be positive, right? So right. that probably was, a, that was probably good medicine for you um, to keep that routine, I, I would think. Right. And, you know, mentally, I um, worked every single day. Um, I think I, I took one week off the week I had my surgery, but, um, and, and that was, you know, from my career. Um but even then I was at home with my laptop and answering emails and, and sort of keeping up with the day-to-day. And a lot of people, you know, their preference would have been to not work and take the time off. But for me, again, mentally, the fact that I was able to continue to work, somehow my brain thought it's not as bad as, you're, as you think it is. See, you can still yeah. do this. You can still go yeah. to the gym. You can still work. It's not as bad as you think. Right. Well, you're not dead. That's what your yeah. brain was, was saying, right? You're still thinking. You're still, you still have a lot to contribute. And I'll share with you, I have a sister who was diagnosed. I was sharing with, this, with you before we, we mm-hmm. taped. And um, she was diagnosed and she, through the radiation and everything. Like, she's up at 530 in the morning, and she'd, you know, go right from work for the radiation every day. And it was, I want to say, um, 32 mm-hmm. sessions or something, 36 sessions. So it was every day for several weeks. You know, mm-hmm. walking in at six thirty, seven o'clock, you know, and had the husband and the kids there. And my, my nieces are, are older now. But, um, you know, you still have all those demands. And she was exhausted, but she worked every day. And I think, um, you know, I should have her on to talk about it. But I think her, like you, it was a control thing and better than sitting home. You know, and yeah. what do you do? You think about it, right? So this way you, you still had your brain to, to do what it had to do. So wow that you only took a week you're you really earned that woman you're my you're now my nickname for you is my wonder woman friend so <laughs> you clearly have earned that okay mm-hmm. so now when if if and i hope no one ever has to be in this situation but i know that's a false wish um anyone who finds themselves in a similar situation how do you how did you ask for help beyond the folks at the gym and and how can people ask for help because you can't do it alone yeah. Um, and, you know, this is something I didn't really um, necessarily appreciate until after my recovery. I, I sort of, if I had to do it over again, wish I had asked for more help. Um, because I think what, what happens, and, and I'm guilty of this too, is you find out that a friend is diagnosed with cancer and you say, well, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. Yeah. The person's never going to ask because they are so overwhelmed, you know, they're trying to deal with timing their medications and the days that they feel good and the days that they feel bad and they're trying to feel normal themselves, they're never going to say, please just go grocery shopping for me because it makes them feel like a failure, right? So what I will say is um, if you're going through cancer, it's okay to ask. And what I'm also going to say is people want you to ask. Um, I did a number of uh, alternative healing therapies and, um, and and one of those healers suggested to me just before my 
my surgery that I ask my friends and family to do sort of a mass visualization for me, that I asked them the morning of my surgery to visualize me being wrapped in this blanket and being taken care of and being healthy and, and, and loved. And so I, I left the healing, you know, appointment and thought that's the hokiest thing I've ever thought of. Like, I, I'm not going to do that. And then the other side of me said, it can't hurt to ask. And so I really did what something I never do, <laughs> which right. is I sent out a mass email to everyone, like the people at the gym, the people at work, um, the people who came to my wedding, my family. I had people write back and say, thank you for giving me something to do for you. Wow. People woke up on the West Coast. My, my surgery was at 6 o'clock in the morning. I had people waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning on the West Coast to, like, Ugh. sit and visualize for me. Oh, you're making me cry. Oh, my God, yeah. that's amazing. So I think, you know, when you're in the thick of things, and this, uh, and the reason I say this is a lesson I've learned more now sort of post-recovery than maybe in, in recovery is I'm always amazed at if you just ask for help, how willing people are to give it. Always, yeah. Right? It's true. It's so true. Yeah. And and it's funny, again, you don't know what to do. It, so well said now after the fact you're experiencing it. I can't tell you the number of times I, I have a friend who just lost a grandson. He battled cancer for six years from the age of three to nine, and we just went to the funeral yesterday. And I, I texted you were texting because she was running, and I said, whatever you need. I said, food shopping, you need to get on the phone and scream. You know, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you need. Like, just, I want to help, but I don't know how. And you feel so helpless having someone go through that. My sister, um, they didn't need anything. I said, let us order food for you. She lives quite a distance. And, oh, no, we're good. Tom is cooking. He, you know, we're doing takeout. All right, let us pay for takeout one night. You know, everybody wants to do something and, you know, it's funny that you had to go through that to realize that it's okay to ask for help, but that people sincerely want to help. And across the country, they're they're waking up um, to sit in vigil for you and wrap you know wrap blankets and arms around you, so to speak. You know, um, against mentally it's kind of that good energy. Did when you talk about alternative medicines, okay? Mm -hmm. You still did the chemo and the mastectomy and all that. What were some of the other modalities? that you did. I love that visualization. I think it's so powerful. Yeah, so uh, my surgeon, um, a, a woman by the name of uh, Dr. Beth Dupree, she's very well known in the area, probably the premier uh, breast surgeon in, um, you know, on the East Coast, I would have to say. Um, Where did you go she, for the surgery? Can I ask what hospital? Sure, I was at uh, Holy Redeemer, which is, is in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, out by Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania. Okay, very cool. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just a shout out. So, shout out to them. You did good, guys. Okay. Yeah. So uh, she runs a um, a charitable organization uh, which uh, I participate in called the Healing Consciousness Foundation, and and they very much support um, sort of a combination of Eastern and Western medicine. And so as as one of her patients, you get access to various practitioners. Um, massage therapists, acupuncture, mm. um, hypnotists, um, angel therapies, and, and you as a patient, uh, you know, one of, of the gifts that she will give to you is I think the opportunity to see, I forget, it's either three or four of these alternative healers 
Um, I also um, did Reiki uh, on my own, and I found them to be all very um, positive experiences in helping me cope, again, with sort of the emotional and the spiritual side of of Mm -hmm. what I was going through. Yeah. You know what's so interesting, Dara? My my sister goes to a hospital up in Morristown in New Jersey, and they also have the massage, yoga classes, Reiki, acupuncture, all of these other modalities as well, right within the hospital. And I'm fascinated by that because even our major surgeons, right, they always say the surgeons want to cut, but the surgeons are advocating for again, with the East meets West uh, kind of perspective. And it's awesome because your body isn't just your body. Your body is really run by, oh, you, oh, that's right, your mind and your spiritual outlook, you know, that positive energy, et cetera. So that's wonderful. And, and did you use everything? Like did you use everything or you found the ones that kind of worked for you? Um, so I did massage. Um, again, I'm um, – because I think sometimes of my scientific background, I am a little bit skeptical of some of the (laughs) alternative healing therapies. Uh, So I had done Reiki for the first time, went in uh, thinking it was going to be hokey, came out in utter disbelief about the experience I had just had. It was so phenomenal. Um, I did angel therapies, uh, and I did hypnotherapy as well. Very cool. And all of them had different benefits to your whole being. Yes, they all had uh, very good benefits. Yeah, yeah, and and now you mentioned that your the one surgeon participates in in charitable foundation. Did you yeah. find that was part of your recovery plan of vision as well? Um, so uh, her charitable foundation, uh, Healing Consciousness Foundation. Um, they do a lot of support work. Um, They do a lot of education. They do a lot of support groups. I actually have to say, for me, um, I do tend to be uh, very independent and sort of a private person. Mm. I tried to do the support group um, thing, you know, where you go and several women share their stories and and try to support each other. didn't really work out for me. Um, but that's the great thing in that they offer so many different options and services and educational paths that you can really pick and choose the thing that resonates the most with you. Well, and you started by saying in the beginning, you were like, no, give me answers, give me answers. And they kept saying, well, everybody has different perspective or perception and, and outcome and delivery and, and blah, blah, blah. And as you went through the process, did you see, like say, mm, they were right, mm, they were right? Did, did that yeah. kind of keep circling? Yeah. Yeah, very much. And, you know, um, I did uh, a few years after I recovered, I had a part of my adopted aunt uh, was diagnosed. Uh, she's uh, much older, uh, but was diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, very similar to me, she called me and, and wanted a lot of answers, and she was very scared about the whole process. And sure. um, I, you know, I basically had to say, I can tell you what my experience was, but I can't guarantee that's what your experience will be. And in fact, she had a very different experience than I did, um, not on a positive side, but she had some uh. more negative experiences. And so. Um, you know, every, everyone is different, and you just got to find your own way. But I, yeah. I think the message is, 
you can and will find your own way. So do yes. not despair or, or lose hope about that. And I and I think you were you asked a lot of questions and it sounds like you held people accountable and you don't know I need answers so you didn't just give up and throw your hands in the air and say oh whatever's going to be so you know I think you have to advocate for yourself which is very important as well especially in such such a um, extreme situation it's very important to advocate for yourself. Um, Dara, let's take another quick break and then when we come back I really want to kind of shift gears and I want to talk about what is the real failure? And, and I know you have a, a comment on that. Um, so just a break is this. I want everyone listening, if this topic is important to you or important to your life right now or someone you love is going through this, you know, I hope that Dara is inspiring you to either provide support if that's your function and maybe doing something uh, that the person might need or and keep encouraging them to ask for help. Um, again, I think, Dara, you're right that we, we want to show that we're strong. We can do this. We're good. We're good. We're good. And if you ask for help, it means that maybe you're weak and that's so not the case. So I hope that resonated with everybody because I thought that was a very strong message. Also, if you have a story, please share it with me because, you know, just like I'm sharing, you know, my sister, I should have her on because I, I certainly can't talk to her experience, um, but I can't wait for her to listen to the show, Dara, because I think she'll get a lot out of it at well, uh, as well. And also the, the, um, she had the lumpectomy where you had the double mastectomy and you had the gene, the genetics where she did not, thank, you know, thank God. So, again, how you could end up kind of at the end of the same place positive mental state, but the, your journeys were just so drastically different. So I really hope that she um, listens and, and gets some, you know, maybe peace out of it as well. But guys, call me or, or connect with me, share your story, because just like Dara is saying, everybody has a different take on it. If you share your stories, I'm happy to turn around and share them back um, with everyone listening. And you never know who it might help or touch or just, you know, provide some clarity in the situation. So please email me at Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E, at WhitmanAssos.com. That's W-H-I-T-M-A-N-A-S-S-O-C.com. Or go to my website. All of my contact info is there at www.WhitmanAssos.com, spelled the same. Also, if you want to speak with Dara, can I give them your phone number, Dara? That's okay? Yeah, that's great. I'd love to talk to folks. Sure. If you can reach her directly at 215-622-4501, or her email is blankcanvasnh at gmail.com. And everyone, I'm going to put Dara's website and her email um, on the link through Web Talk Radio so you guys can reach out to her as well. Um, so, yeah, share your stories, guys. We're, we really are listening, and we'd love to help others, you know, find their path a little bit easier or make it make the path a little less filled with resistance, I, I guess. Right, Dara, that's a good way to put it? Yes, I think that's great. Yeah. So now, okay, so that I want to now kind of shift gears and talk about what is the real, real failure? Certainly not asking for help. That's silly, right? We know that's silly now. So what is the real failure to you, if, if anything? Yeah, well, you know, to me, what I learned um, and what I'm experiencing now, sort of post-recovery, um, is that failure has nothing to do with 
success as can be conventionally defined. You know, I worked in a sales organization, a very um, high-pressure sales organization, and their success is, you know, did you make your number? Did you double the business? Um, how many likes do you have on Facebook? Um, you know, we, we tend to define success by, you know, certain standards. And yeah, what really, have you done for me lately, right? What have you done right. for me lately? Yes. Yeah. But but when when you're going through cancer, and this is going to sound morbid, you sort of sit there and think, well, suppose I died today. What What would people say in my eulogy? And I'm going to tell you, nobody's going to talk about how you doubled the business, right? <laughs> so what, well, what are they going to say at your eulogy? They're going to talk about the things you did with your life. And so, you know, one of the things I did in, with, with breast cancer was I wrote down, the night before my surgery, I wrote down um, a, a letter to myself, and it described what my life would be like in five years. So I get to reread that letter very soon. But, you know, that letter had nothing to do with my corporate career. That letter had uh, nothing to do with making a lot of money. It had to do with the things that I always wanted to do, a bucket list, if you will, uh, sure. the things that brought me joy. And really, that's what the failure is. The failure is that I could have died and not have done any of the things on the list, have not have lived the life that I wanted to live. And even now, you know, today, I, on a day-to-day -day basis, think about, suppose this is the day I find out it's come back. Is this the day I want to have lived if, it's, if the cancer's come back? Do you do that every so, day, Sarah? Uh, almost every day, yeah. I, and I, I've done an exercise recently where, you know, I've defined uh, what my perfect day looks like. So, yes. for example, in my perfect day, I wake up at a certain time and it has no alarm and I have a cup of coffee with my significant other and I take my dog for a walk. And, you know, what what are the things and rituals that bring me the satisfaction to my day? And just like everybody else, today was a great example. I spent three hours this morning somehow on Pinterest. I'm not sure what I was doing, not sure what I was looking for. Is that my perfect day? No. I don't think that's anyone's perfect day, spending three hours on Pinterest. Yet we all fall into that trap, right? You do get so sucked in. Yeah. So suppose today was the day I found out. Did I want that to be three hours on Pinterest? No. So, um, and I really sort of came to this um, after my recovery, I started to see a life coach slash therapist. Oh, I love um, it. And she really helped me to uh, realize some of these goals. And so one of the goals was I started a charity event. Um, it's called Bench for Boobs. Uh, it is a bench press event, and all of the proceeds go to uh, breast cancer charities. And I started this because uh, when I was diagnosed, um, I got told that I should never lift more than 20 pounds again uh, because what happens when you have lymph nodes removed is, is that puts you at risk of lymphedema, which is swelling of the extremities. Oh. And so they think that one way to manage that is to not lift very heavy weights. Oh. And so as you've already sort of pointed out, I don't necessarily um, always listen. Um, I <laughs> forge my own path, and so I forge my own path and decided that they were wrong and continued to weight train. Um, 
And this is something my trainer and I wanted to do, that, you know, the the physical activity was such an important part of my recovery, and, and we both feel that physical activity should be an important part of everyone's recovery, that we wanted to do a physical event to raise money for breast cancer. And at first, I was scared. I mean, I don't know how to, how to run a charity event, and suppose no one shows up, and, you know, it's a lot of work to do. But... Um, I asked for help. I asked people to help me. Um, Good for you. You asked for help. So you learned. I asked for help. And uh, this year, actually, I just started to plan the fourth annual uh, Bench for Boobs event. Uh, We're in a bigger venue, which is going to be in Langhorne, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, every year we raise uh, somewhere between four and $6,000 for breast cancer charity. And it's all people, um, all, you know, walks of life who come to the event, and we have a really great time. So, Can you share the website for everybody on the charity? Because they can all go, people could donate or whatever, right? Um, do you yeah. have a website for that? So uh, the best way to find us is on Facebook under Bench for Boobs. So facebook.com bench for boobs. slash Bench and, for Boobs. And I love Bench for Boobs. I love bench for boobs. that. That's yeah. awesome. Now, can I ask you a question personally? Sure. So you've yes. continued to lift the weights over the four years. I assume that you've lifted over 20 pounds from the way you, you know, you're doing bench for boobs. I'm sure you're benching quite high a number. Yes? Yes. Yes. Okay. Has any of that lymphedema, am I saying that right, lymphedema? So um, I, have, I have no symptoms of the lymphedema. No. Um, I wear uh, something they recommend. It's a surgical compression garment. I, I wear oh. it on my right uh, sleeve, uh, on my right um, arm, which is where I had the cancer in my right breast. Um, okay. It is something that they recommend for people who have had lymph nodes removed. Um, if you are under duress, so lifting weights, um, they recommend it if you fly. Um, oh. Some people will recommend it if you garden because if you cut yourself and get an infection in your hand, that can um, be an impact. Um, but this is a point where I should emphasize this is my own personal experience. Um, there is still no clear scientific data about how and why you get uh, lymphedema. Um, so everyone is at risk if if you have your lymph nodes removed. Yeah, and and you're you're religious by putting that that compression on when you only yes. when you weight lift or you wear it every day. I wear it when I weight lift and I wear it when I fly. Okay, so yeah. just in those limited situations. But here's the other thing too, Dari. You were working out before with weight. That's correct. Were you? Yeah. So I don't know that. You know, guys, you need to talk to your doctors, right? Because you're exactly right there. That was your path, but you were doing it before, so it was normal for your body. Again, pre all of this going on with the with the craziness in your body, uh, you know, with the, with the cancer. So, yeah, good, very good point. Now, yeah. the um, I, I just in one of the emails you sent me, and I I, I just put it in my notes because I thought it was a beautiful one sentence thing, but it was beautiful, and uh, it's not necessarily making the goals, right, whatever whatever that is. It's really more about being proud of the risk you took and how you lived your life. And I, I, isn't that just a beautiful – you guys, isn't that just a beautiful sentence? And it was one of the emails that we had sent back and forth. And just everything you described, I think it's more about being proud of who you are and how you're responding to the whole damn situation 
um, and how you're living your life now. So kudos, man. Really, you are my Wonder Woman. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving you right now. Uh, my next question, just because everybody, I want everybody to understand that you worked in corporate. You no longer work in corporate, correct? Yeah, so um, I quit my corporate career. Yeah, when all of this was going on, right, or right after this went on, correct? Yeah, so um, I don't want – Let's take one more break. You know what? Here's, here's the deal. Let's take one more break, and then I really need to hear this part, this leg of your journey. I'm dying to hear how that wasn't enough for you. That wasn't the show as architects of change, so that wasn't enough change for you. You want to take it a step further. So let's take one more last break, and then I really want to – uh, just talk about that last piece of the journey that you're still living right now, which is which is an awesome story as well. So one more quick break. A speaker has little value to an audience unless you, the listener, is motivated and empowered to change. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates is a renowned speaker and is an architect of change. Consultations, training, seminars, and speaking engagements are the venues where she affects change. Whether your responsibilities include customer service, sales, marketing, training, executive management, or ownership, and you are seeking change in your organization, then you need to hire Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Connie doesn't just fill your ears with rhetoric. She speaks to the heart and success of your business. So next time you need to hire a speaker, don't hire someone that just talks. Hire an architect of change, Connie Whitman. Just ask for Connie by calling 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Okay, we are back with Dara Zukranik. Okay, Dara, so you left corporate life in the midst of all of this chaos. And you, can you fill in the blank? Let everybody know what you did. Yeah, I started my own business. Um, one of the things when when I sort of wrote this letter to myself about what the vision was of my life, um, again, it had nothing to do about my corporate career. And, and that's not to be negative about my corporate career. I had a you know, very nice job with a very nice company, with very nice people. I mean, it was a fine job, and I'll put that in air quotes, but having a fine job was mm. not fulfilling me. And I think so many of us do that. It's, it's I have a perfectly good job, but it makes me feel dead inside. Um, and, and I didn't want to do that anymore, so... Did you always feel that way with this job? Did you always feel like something was missing? Like you said, you liked it. It was fine. You went to work. You liked people. The money was good. You 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 did a nice job. You you were well at it. Did do you did you always feel that way, or just after this life altering experience? Um, you know, I think like a lot of people, I always had that um, thought that I would prefer to not work for corporate America. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, I, I think I never either had the confidence in myself or, um, you know, the ability to take risks um, and, and be okay with that. And I think what the cancer provided me is more of a willingness to take on the risk and be okay with that, but also take on the risk and be okay if it didn't work. Meaning sure. be okay if... Um, I wasn't good at owning my own business. And so um, I had always 
for years and years wanted to own my own art gallery. I've collected art for, you know, 20 something years and my mom is an artist and it's just something I've always been very passionate about. So, cool. Um I decided to do it. And again, it's not like I woke up one day and opened the doors of my gallery and quit my job all at once. I um <laughs> I actually um you know, talk about asking for help. I went around to people in the arts community and and asked to interview them. Um, and everybody said yes. Wow. So I interviewed so you artists. Could educate, did you do yeah, that so just I to could educate, educate myself? So, yeah. so wait, if I'm understanding this, Terry, you knew nothing about an art gallery other than you liked art. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, good. Yeah. Um, I interviewed gallery owners. Um, I interviewed people at auction houses. I interviewed framers. Um, and after all those interviews, I said, okay, it still sounds like something that's interesting. So oh. what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open a pop-up. So um, I found a space that was willing to give me a three-month lease, and I tried it for three months. And I really liked it. And by the way, I did it for three months while working my corporate job. Very cool. Um, I liked it at the, enough at the end of three months that I renewed the lease for a full year, and I did that while I had my corporate job. And then, did you work the corporate? Did you work corporate part time or full time? Did both of these? I did it full time, uh, and I you. did that up until uh, last July, at wow. which point I went to my corporation and said, um, "I'd like to give notice." Um, uh, and I just said I, I'd like to be able to pursue personal interests. And another great example of what happens when you just ask sometimes, they said, well, how about a part-time job while we look for your replacement? And so they kept uh -huh. me on an additional seven months wow. in a very wonderful part-time position. Um, I mean, the joke was when they told me what the part-time offer was, I wish I had known this was available sooner because I would have done it years ago. Oh, wow. How nice. Uh, but see, it's true. When you ask, it happens, right? It really does yeah. happen. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so I did that in July. I asked, um, you know, to be separated from the company. I worked part-time for them up until February. And as of February, I am officially... Uh, working for myself. I love it. And how has it gone? Are you doing great? Uh, well, so um, I am happy. And that is the only way I'm going to define my success is I'm happy. That's awesome. That is awesome. And you love going in every day. I do. And um, I like going in every day. I get more of a rush from selling um, you know, a $200 piece of art than I ever did selling a half-million-dollar piece of capital equipment, which is what I used to do. <laughs> yeah, it's not the price tag, right? And no. here, Well, here's the funny, here's a, just an observation, Dara. You really did have the skill with the gallery, maybe not from the business standpoint. I thought that was very smart. What you don't know, you learn before you open a business, and that's good advice for all you want to be business owners, learn what you need to from the business standpoint, so nicely done. But the sales standpoint, talking to people, all of that, you had those skills because you were already doing it. So nice nice transitional skill, too, you know, with, with what you already knew. So very, very 
Very cool. You're you're a crazy lady. Um, share with everyone where the gallery is and the website. Do you have photos? Like, if people buy pictures or, or paintings through the website as well, or they have to come into the gallery? Um, they have to message me. It's one of my goals, actually, currently, is to get e-commerce running on my gallery website, which is cool. blankcanvasnh.com. Um, so my gallery is named Blank Canvas Gallery because life should be lived like it's a blank canvas. Yeah, and your chapters are unwritten, right? That song yeah. by um, Bettingfield. I love that song because it's true. Tomorrow is an unknown. It could be anything you want it to be. And just everyone listening, because this is what I do too, coaching with, with my, my business. Don't just go, oh, that's great. I think I'm going to quit my job and go, <laughs> go, you know, go to pizzeria, but I don't know how to make pizza. So work for pizzeria. Work your regular job. Work for a pizzeria part-time or whatever the job is. So that was, believe it or not, just great, great information from a coaching perspective too, Dara. So thank you for that. That's um, for anybody thinking about breaking in and becoming their own business owner. How do you do that, right? You do it the smart way. And your way, believe it or not, was extremely smart. So thank you for sharing that. Now, before you mentioned your perfect day, and you yes. said it's, you know, walking the dogs and, and all of these things, not waking up to alarm, right, and, and, and everybody's different. How can people determine what their perfect day looks like, or can you share the thought process that you kind of went through to set to when now you defined it as your perfect day, but what was that thought process to get you there? Because I want everyone to think about what is their perfect day, how can they live that perfect day every day. So can you help everybody with that, with some tips in our last yeah, eight minutes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, especially when you're mired in all of this, and, and I did for a while have an awful lot going on there all at once, you, you get so caught up in just keeping up with the day, right? Um, sure. if, if you have family, it's, you know, I just got to get the kids out the door and I've got to make sure that they're fed and the laundry's done and the house is clean. But, um, and, and again, this is something I continue to, to work on myself is this idea of we take on a lot of things that are really not our problems, um, whether that's being uh, part of a relationship and, and helping your partner with difficult things. And, and I'm not saying to be sympathetic and I'm not saying to be supportive, but, uh, you know, a great example is I... Um, part of my transition is I recently ended a, a long-term relationship. And even though we still get along famously and we are wonderful friends, we're not romantically involved. Well, um, I still find that I want to expend a lot of my energy to do things for him, to help make his life easier. So when we were selling the home that we owned together, I was spending my time researching houses for him. And, you know, on the one hand, again, I don't want people to be callous and not think, but but you have to also stop and say, is this the most important thing I am doing for me? And so I think, again, in particular women, we don't put ourselves first. No. And so you have to be really selfish and say, what is the most important thing for me? Um, and and use that to define your perfect day. Um, yeah. There are lots of things other people will say are important, but is it important to you? 
So. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have a friend and she irons every day and it's the big joke if, you know, sometimes on my way in, because when do you get to talk? I'm, I'm in the car, right? So yeah. I'll just check. She also had uh, breast cancer. So, and we've just, we're, we've been just tremendous friends for, you know, over 10 years. So that's when we talk in the morning while she does her ironing or whatever. And, and she babysits her children um, also for her job. But I'll call, go, you ironing yet? And it's a big joke, but she needs to iron every day. It's important to her. And at one point I said to her, oh, my goodness, when my kids come to your house, I said, your kids come to the house, I could smell the downy fabric softener in their clothing, like you know they were here. And they're pressed, they're under, I think she presses their underwear, right? And I'm not mocking her. And I said, oh, my goodness, when my kids come to your house, do you look at them and go, oh, they're a wrinkled mess because you take it in their laundry basket. Sometimes they don't fold their clothes for days, and then it's wrinkled. And she goes, oh, no, I never look at that stuff. But for me, it's something I need to do that makes me feel like I accomplished something. And I love when I look at them and their jeans are pressed. So, see, everybody has their thing. And, you know, for me, I could care less if my kids' jeans are pressed. <laughs> So you got to keep it in perspective, and, and I think the point of what you're saying, Dara, too, is for moms out there, sometimes, and, and you get this, this is pretty much what you were saying, we can't always do what we want to do at the moment, right, and be selfish, because you can't. You have obligations, you have kids that need you, et cetera, but maybe sit in that massage and have the husband babysit, or get that date night so you can reconnect with your spouse. Get the babysitter. Oh, I can't afford it. You know what? Go to a movie. You don't have to go to an expensive dinner. Pop the popcorn at home, right? Get the babysitter, the kid down the street for a couple of bucks and do it once a month. So it's, I think you're right. We have to fit in those little things that, that please us or make us feel happy. Yeah. Or, you yeah. know, again, going back to, um, I think sometimes too, we, we, you have to be honest with yourself. Again, if I'm honest with myself, I spent three hours on Pinterest this morning and I think a lot of people use, um, television and their phones and um, Pinterest and Facebook, Facebook as as a way to numb what they're feeling or going yeah. through. Um, and mm-hmm. I get that because I am certainly guilty of that. And, and so I think sometimes it's also a matter of being honest with yourself. And even though it might be difficult um, about why you're numbing, um, you know, try to work through that and and really sort of re-engage with the life that's going on around you. Yeah, that's so well said. I mean, what's that, Candy Crush? Am I saying that right? I don't play any games on my phone. Yeah, I think it's called Candy Crush. I can't tell you the number of people that posting on Facebook, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That could be a de-stressor for for folks too, and I totally get that. And for me, like people go, oh, do you do words with friends or what? And I go, I don't even know what that is. I'm not playing that. I don't have time for that in my life. But that's not my priority. That doesn't help me decompress. There's other things I need to do to decompress. So I, I think, I think you're right. I think we need to. I call it sleepwalking through life. We need to stop doing that and, and stop numbing ourselves and kind of looking inside as, as what, makes it happy, what makes you happy. Can you give maybe two or three tips on how you were able, in all of this chaos that was going on in your life, talk about many life changes. You were like in a vortex of change, my friends. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. Can you give maybe, maybe two, two quick tips for everybody to find that clarity of what pleases them or, or, you know, what fulfills them. Um, yeah. So I, I think um, you really, 
one thing I found to be really helpful. Um, I have been spending a lot more time lately um, being still or quiet or meditating or whatever word you want to use around that idea. Um, and again, because uh, I am very much guilty of this not trying to numb myself with uh, the things that I use to numb myself. So um, I've been trying to just be more aware and, and mindful. Uh, one mm -hmm. thing that I've been doing um, because it's hard for me to find, let's say, 20 minutes to sit and just meditate, as I'm sure mm -hmm. a lot of busy folks do, um, I do something called stoplight meditation. So when I drive in my car, every time I'm at a stoplight, that's the time I use to meditate, and it's usually, what, 45 seconds to a minute. But, you know, sure. just really sort of calm your breathing and sort of refocus your thoughts sure. on what's important. So um, I found that to be really beneficial. And, again, this, this whole thing uh, between the cancer and, um, you know, starting a charity and starting my own business and, and even the whole process of working a full-time corporate career while trying to build a business, um, it's overwhelming. Uh, it is. It's, it's a lot of change all at once. And um, all you got to do is get through one day. Right. Like right. you have Break to stop it. worrying about what the five-year vision is. Uh, yeah. What do you need to do today? Yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and make some time for you to be happy that even if it's like you said, the stoplight to just calm your nerves and breathe and be in the moment and look at the beautiful clouds in the sky, like changes move on, but you took that 45 seconds for self. I think that's so therapeutic and so important. Um, Dara, our time is up, and I, I just can't thank you enough. You have inspired me. I hope you've inspired many that I don't, I don't think I do enough in a day now. <laughs> That you make it look easier. You made it sound so easy, and I'm 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 not laughing because I I think you make it sound easy, but going through it, just what a, a tremendously ridiculous situation, and that you've come out with such clarity and passion and confidence is awesome, and I just love to see that. And you, my friends, are truly um, your own architect of change, and I you know I commend you for that. So thank you again for being on the show and and you know, your valuable time um, is much appreciated. Um, yeah, it's been my pleasure. Yeah, I'm really glad. I'm really glad we did this. You, you're truly inspiring. Um, everyone, our time is up. I thank you so much. I hope that today's conversation provides some framework for you to go and explore changes that you can become, you know, your own architect of change with something in your current life. And again, um, not kind of being the, my word zombie or, you know, that sleepwalking through life and being numb. If you'd like to reach um, uh, Dara, again, her number is 215 area code 622-4501. Um, the email blank canvas nh nancy harry at gmail.com and our website's the same www.blankcanvasnh.com and please visit her um, bench for boobs on facebook so it's www.facebook.com slash or backslash whatever that is bench for boobs so check it out donate um, go on her website buy some some portraits and be inspired every day by something she's carrying. Thank you, Dara, again for joining me. I hope you guys will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together how to grow and challenge ourselves so we all embrace change and realize that it's probably easier than we oftentimes think. Take one day at a time. Great, great valuable lesson from Dara. 
Um, thank you all again for joining me. You've been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. Thanks. Have a wonderful week, and go get inspired. Be well. You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Time may change me, but I